I want you to know I'm especially glad, and I think perhaps by some divine appointment, you're here, especially if you really, really didn't want to be here, either physically or even online. If you're even wondering, how, how did I find the energy to get here when the last thing I wanted to do was to go try to be in a worship experience wearing a mask I don't like or sitting at home with a family I'm tired of or by myself. I really want to applaud you and I'm hoping we can be helpful today. I want to read our, our scripture. It's, it's found in Hebrews, which is kind of near the, near the end of our Bibles. Chapter 4, in verse 14 through 16. I'll read that. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think the kind of the context of this, of this book is followers of Jesus who have become tired and scared and are sort of done with it. They are the, um, the nuns, as we call them today, of their day. They found religion to be exhausting. I think maybe they confused coming to Jesus as a new religion. And so there were things that this author feels like maybe they didn't understand about this Jesus they had committed to follow. And so he wants them to not give up. The, the fastest way, we'll review, the fastest way to feel relief from almost any kind of pain is to simply quit something. You hate your job, you're sick of getting up every morning, you that alarm goes off and you think, I, I can't keep doing this. Well, if you hate your job, just quit. Your, your marriage has come to a place where it is either cold or difficult. You're, you're tired of it. You don't want to keep going to therapy. You're sick of the whole thing. Well, just quit. Exercise is a drag. Going up that steep hill, your lungs are bleeding. Well, just stop going up the hill. Simple. Obviously, it's not... <laughs> There's something about the, the, the wanting to quit which somehow has to become subordinate to the consequence of quitting. And that's, that's called being an adult. Although we don't always act like adults. Let's hold on to... This faith we profess. This faith that we were told, or at least assumed, would at some point in the future really make sense to us. That somehow we could figure out that we are 
intuitively in our thoughts and even in our actions incredibly evil people. And yet we are in the image of God. We are glorious beings. We are crazy, crazy loved. And we're all we need to be. I was thinking as Peter was praying the Lord's Prayer that Jesus is asking us to talk to God about the very things God has told us we already have. That we have been chosen and we choose. I think when our faith becomes religious, it it becomes this need to make all the pieces fit. I think that's where heresy comes from. Heresy is when every piece has to fit in exactly a box. And we know that they're not all going to fix, so we get our big theological hammer and we just pound it till that round peg fits into that square hole. All right. Are you tired of that inner, lonely, daily battle? To live. Every instinct you have, however, every internal impulse it feels like, leads you to death. And the only solution becomes dying? The very thing I'm trying to avoid? This is Jesus' answer? Oh my. I. I I think all of our compulsive behaviors are trying to manage the anxiety of wanting to feel alive. And they don't make sense. I don't know if this is true for you, but I know it's true for me. That sometimes I just do the dumbest things, but if I really think about it, it's not because I'm stupid. It's because I want to feel alive. (laughs) My friend was telling me this story. Um, I'll I'll give you the context. I actually ended up being a high school student, very involved with what was a ministry called Youth for Christ and Campus Life. And then I went to work for them for many years. And when I was just coming in, they were just ending sort of a, a part of their ministry which had existed since the beginning, which were called rallies. They had these big rallies, and you may not know about them, but a lot of people experienced going to these big Youth for Christ rallies. And here in Denver, we went to this place called Phipps Auditorium. I don't know if you remember Phipps Auditorium. It's not there now, but it was part of the Museum of Natural History. It was packed, and they would bring in speakers all over the country, great speakers, and famous Christians. And my friend, went to pick up, the guy flew in, they were, he was going to be the speaker that night, and on the way to the rally, on the way to the rally, he asked if they could swing by Walgreens. And so he pulled in Walgreens, and he's waiting in the car, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, <laughs> I doesn't come back out, and all of a sudden, then a police car shows up. This famous Christian speaker, who was going to that evening speak to a thousand or more people. Wanted to stop at Walgreens so he could shoplift 
a pen. And you're going, well, that's an idiot. And now, of course, that's my impulse. Just how can somebody be that stupid? I don't know. I haven't interviewed the guy. As a matter of fact, my friend didn't tell me his name. You, you know what my hunch is? As I've thought about it, and I've gotten past the quick judgment, is I bet he was really scared that night. And I bet he was so scared he wanted to feel something. He had to express that, that anxiety in some way, and for some reason, that's what he had chose. We are those kinds of people who are then told to hold firm. And the Bible, and, and especially this book of Hebrews, keeps giving us ways in which perhaps if we could grasp we would be able to hang on to this faith which we profess, which we know in some deep way we know is true. So here's our solution that we've been given. What if we're not alone and what if we have nothing to fear? Would that change how we feel about our weariness in life. It says this, I'll reread it. For we, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have a high priest who knows every human being's impulse to want to try to live. Just like we did. I don't know if it's hard for you to think of Jesus as a person who experienced all that you've experienced in life. I, I, there was a story in my seminary of an older woman who was in class and the professor was talking about Jesus as a fully human person who went through adolescence as a young man. And there is this transition into sexual maturity and, and things happen in the middle of the night and this woman stood up, not my Jesus! <laughs> oh, he knows. There's a, there's a, a TV show and I will, I will um, impress you with my great spiritual maturity. I haven't watched the show. But it's called Temptation Island. Here's the premise of the show. I mean, you already probably know the premise of the show. It's something I would like to watch. But anyhow, my wife sometimes at home. So, Temptation Island, the premise of the show is this. There are four couples who are put onto some exotic and beautiful um, tropical location. And then they're separated. The women go one place, the men go another place. To the place that the men go, they have put 12 women, not average women, as the world would describe average, but thin, athletic, buxom young women. Some ideal of what, in this time period, we would identify as beautiful. And the same for the men. Are the women have the men, 12 men. And the 
the, um, the contest is can you go a month and not hook up with one of the people on your team, on your side? Isn't this lovely? This is beautiful. I'm tempted by that show. But maybe not in the way you would think. I mean, sure, they're you know, pretty women, and, but that's not my temptation. You know what my temptation is? My temptation, if I were to watch that show and I saw the previews, is I want to be one of those guys. I want to be a guy who looks so appealing that a woman would be willing to leave her beloved (laughs) for me. I wonder, my fantasy, my temptation, is how good would my life be if I were the kind of person who had the physique and the charisma that women would want me. Man, I would, I would finally feel I come a somebody. Jesus was tempted in the same way. Jesus wanted to feel like a somebody. We'll get in a moment to the fact that he did not sin. He did not give in to temptation. But the fact that he had that anxiety seems to be true. I believe Jesus can look every person into the eye and say, listen, listen. In your attempt to feel alive, you're not alone. I know what that feels like. You're not weird. You're not crazy. You're a human. I was actually a long, this was a long time ago, I was an interim pastor. An interim pastor is somebody who comes in between pastors in a church. You, you sort of have this commitment that you're not available to become the next pastor, so you're there just to help them make a transition. And So I was preaching, it wasn't this passage, but I had referenced this passage, and I said to the audience, I said said to this community, this congregation, I said, Jesus can look everybody in the eye, and he says, I know what that feels like. And I began to list things, and I mentioned a a sexual component. You know, I wasn't overtly descriptive, it was PG-13-ish, but I, I, I said, those of you who have some sexual Whatever it is, and I described it. Jesus knows, and this man, he stood up in the back. He stood up and began to yell at me. If you're new to church, you're not supposed to do that. Okay, just so, I want to be clear here. This is the social agreement, all right? And he stood up, and he had, he just so happened to have this black Bible. And in my imagination, I'm certain it was a King James Bible. And he, he kind of did that thing where he thumped the Bible at me. And he stormed out of the room. I want, I want my life to count. I want to be significant. And Jesus says, oh, I know. And Jesus, 
Jesus had this experience in the desert. Perhaps you remember, he, he was met by Satan himself. And after 40 days of fasting, um, Satan began to tempt him. Henry Nouwen, this marvelous contemplative Catholic priest, who was a very well-known intellectual, he taught at Princeton, Yale, and Harvard, I believe, Later in his life, he gave himself to this community. I, I think it's called the Larch community. L is a French word, which was a home in a community for fairly severely intellectually handicapped and physically handicapped people. He describes Jesus' first temptation as the temptation to be relevant to make his life count for something. You see, the first temptation was when the enemy came to Jesus and said, hey, why don't you make bread out of all these rocks? And Jesus could. Can you imagine that in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, how hungry people would be? They were completely dependent. There was no, you couldn't, what you were missing, you couldn't import from someplace across the ocean. You had to grow everything, and there were famines and cycles, and there was very poor people, some who only could live by the generosity of somebody giving to them, and I am certain many starved. And can you imagine if you were the person who could not only feed yourself by magic, but could do that for everybody? How relevant would you be? But Jesus said no. Shane Claimport said, what if we were willing to do something very, very small for the kingdom? Everybody wants to do something great. But what if all of us committed to do something small for the kingdom? All this temptation, it just doesn't end. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to be good so that I can feel like I'm worthy. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to disguise my hatred of some people by, by proclaiming the truth. Republicans and Democrats or liberal and conservatives and e, e, e environmentalists and industrialists and socialists and capitalists, it, it, the list goes on. And, and not always, but sometimes we, we hide behind a, a, a truth when in reality it just feels so good to hate somebody and we can get away with it. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen a book or heard a sermon on how we can best love a Pharisee. I've seen lots of stuff on how we can hate them. I, we wouldn't Nobody would say we hate them, but you know what I mean. Stay away from them. I'm not so sure I got it in me to, to do that because, see, I'm really tempted to hate what I'm afraid I might be. And so Jesus looks at me and he says, Carl, I know. I know. I know, I know. I felt that. Oh, I felt that. Now, you say, and I understand, you say, but Jesus was God. 
it must have been easier for him. I think I've shared this with you before. I'll, I'll share it one more time. Um, let's say Vince and I, Vince is the worship leader up here. Vince and I, we're, we're, we're having... We're having coffee one morning, and we're talking about, man, I've been putting on some weight, man. Not, this is why I've chosen you, Vincent, because nobody's looking at you thinking you've put on weight. <laughs> That's not true for me, but anyhow. So we're, we are there, and we say, hey, you know what? Let's do this. Let's kind of help each other. It's kind of fun to be competitive. How about if you and I make an agreement, we're going to go two weeks, no sugar, Honestly, one of my addictive, impulsive behaviors to want to try to feel something good and exciting is sugar. No doubt. And so we come up with this commitment and, you know, it's hard. Like, you know, I don't know if those of you who have struggled with sugar addiction, it is a very real addiction. Some say it's one of the most difficult to break because of how many neurons in your brain it fires that make you feel good. And so the first day, I'm, man, I'm like, in, you know, like going through rehab. I'm in a cold sweat, you know, I'm shaking in bed, that kind of a thing. And I'm just having dreams about ice cream, all that. Let's say we're into this thing 10 days. And I, I mean, you, and you know what it's like to keep constantly feeling hounded by something that you want, that you know will make you feel good. I think every human knows that. And so on that fifth day, this funny little story goes, let's say my wife makes this German chocolate cake, double frosting, I don't really, cake is a, cake is a carrier for frosting, you, you, you have to have the cake, but it's really the frosting that I want, and, and so she, and then she leaves, let's just say in this pretend thing, she leaves and she says, Carl, I, I, that cake, I just made it for us, it ain't, I don't care, you can have, you can have it. Oh, oh, I forgot to say, see, you and I made this commitment. We weren't going to tell anybody about our bet. And, um, so, you know, I'm in the living room watching TV, and, you know, I hear the, I hear the cake singing to me. Hey, Carl! <laughs> Who wouldn't want to go look at a singing cake? And you probably know how this is going to end, that I end with my, you know, my face in the cake and just, you know, just, I mean, I can eat enormous amounts of cake. Even though I know I'm going to be sick moments after I finish. But consequence is of no deterrent. Vince and I get together at the end of the two weeks. How'd it go, Vince? He said, it was, it was, it was horrible, but I made it. And I say to Vince, well, Vince, <laughs> it must have been easier for you than for me because I went 10 days and I could no longer stand it. And I had to give in. Vince would say, no, Carl, it wasn't harder for you because you got to experience what it was like for that temptation to go away for a moment. And I never did. I don't believe Jesus' temptation ended in this episode where he met the devil. I believe that described what life would be like for him. And he would be hounded like every human with wanting his life to feel alive in a way that he could control. 
And yet he never knew what it was like for that to go away. And yet he did not sin. Means and yet he never knew relief in that way. All he had was his father. Why would God, I don't know, pick anything, why would he write the Ten Commandments? Why would he need to document that? Aren't we smart enough people to know those are not very healthy things? Those aren't good. Because he loves us. And he says, let me describe for you, let me just give you ten examples of how you might want to become the God of your own world, which is our temptation. If you summed it up, I guess it's, I want to be, I want to be God. So then let's approach God's throne. His throne of grace with confidence. Not with my head, my eyes cast down, but looking him in the eyes so that we can receive his mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In our time where we want to be God. But it never, ever works out for us. I don't know if you're familiar with the 12-step program. I was doing my fifth step. Fifth step is where you say to God and one other person the exact nature of all these things we've talked about. I have two best friends, and one of them became my best friend when... I asked him if he would be the one who listened to my fifth step, my confession. And after all my blubbering and shame, he wasn't even phased. And over our time together, he shared with me sort of his fifth step. And I knew he knew. And somehow our hearts bonded. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Not with fear. Fear would make sense. Me showing up in front of God <laughs> with all this story I have. But quite honestly, wanting to be Him. And you, what does he want to give me? Mercy and grace. How in moments like this moment in history, but really in every moment in history, how can I live without feeling like I'm all alone and weird? And how do I live without shame. Let's come with confidence to this throne of grace so we can have mercy and grace to help us in our time of need.
Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, you know my story. And it doesn't repulse you. It embarrasses me. But I want to come to you. Trusting not my theology, not my ability to be good or how I've got it all figured out finally. But I want to come to you because I'm willing to trust you didn't leave me alone. You entered my very experience. And in some weird way, you know what it's like to be a person like me. And you say to me that you love me. So thank you. Amen.